I'm Kate Daniels. Through the wonders of our modern technology, with Zoom, I'm meeting our guests as though they were sitting right here with me, but they are half a world away in South Africa. Beverly and Derek Joubert are a wonderful team, living and working together to bring the stories of threatened wildlife species to visibility and engaging us to also be collaborators. This globally known conservationist and filmmaking team collaborate with National Geographic and today give us some insights on the newest book, The Ultimate Book of African Animals, a kind of photographic safari. Beverly and Derek Joubert, it is so wonderful. What a privilege to welcome you and have a conversation with you this morning. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you, Kate. And hello from Africa to Seattle. Yes, isn't this amazing to have such a clear and direct connection when we're just uh, such a vast amount of space between us, the continents? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, as we get started, and we were talking about the background, and you see my Seattle picture in the background on this Zoom call, but I see this beautiful picture, huge eyes of a cat. And uh, so tell us the story of why this cat is so significant. You know, we started a film uh, many years ago, around about 2003 to 2004. Uh, we were looking at leopards and we knew it was going to be an immense task because leopards are very elusive and hard to find. But we found a female with a tiny little cub. And this little cub was about eight days old. And we committed to stop our lives and only spend time with this little cub for three and a half years. And that's exactly what we did. And she got bigger, as you can see. Yeah, she got a lot bigger. <laughs> And we fell hopelessly in love with her. She kind of seduced us in a way to be ambassadors for leopards. Uh, we got to know her so well and her personality uh, was unique and she was a wonderful little character. But then we looked at the stats to see how many leopards um, are surviving in Africa. And we realized that the stats showed that 10,000 leopards were legally allowed to be shot by safari hunters. Now that's just the illegal amount. And we knew we needed to be their voice. So we started speaking out for leopards through our film, Eye of the Leopard, and then a later film, uh, Jade-Eyed Leopard. And, um, and we created the Big Cat Initiative at National Geographic. And that's been running now for 13 years. That is just so amazing to what an incredible story of in so many regards. But to think of, of really adopting uh, this tiny creature, which, of course, when it's small, it has to be adorable. I think we, well, if, you know, in full disclosure, seeing it at the zoo, but seeing them on film, they are just so precious. But as it grew, does it, as they grow, does that natural uh, instinct of come into play at all? Well, in fact, the entire film that we did, Eye of the Leopard, was really about that nurture and nature tension. So uh, we never touched this leopard, although she touched us. Um, but it was all about the, the instincts that she was born with and the things that she learned from her mother. Uh, the interesting thing about leopards, un unlike lions, for example, is that they, as they're growing up, they can only learn from one other individual. They can only learn from their mother. The pride of lions, they can learn from the uncles, the aunts, and all those others. But leopards are so solitary that it's that mother-daughter relationship, in the female's case, 
that uh, she only had one source of information. So most of what she was doing, she was born with. And that's, that's really what's so interesting. Just fascinating. And, and now, where does she reside? Well, she, like, like um, about 50,000 others with similar stories, um, she and her family line living in Botswana, the film that Beverly was talking about in Kenya. But it's shocking, actually, that when Beverly and I were born, there were 700,000 leopards, and today there are maybe 50,000. So we've seen a 90, 95% decline in our lifetimes. Which is just appalling. And it's not just with the leopards. This is something that is happening with all of our wild creatures, these beautiful wild animals, true? This is, it's absolutely true, Kate. I mean, it's in the ocean as well. 95% of the top predators have been taken out. And we know Sylvia Earle and Enric Sala um, very well. They're also explorers at large at, at National Geographic. But we're seeing a similar situation on land, all top predators, you know, are the first to go. It makes it easier for poachers to then go in to not have to bump into top predators that could harm them. And so it is devastating. I mean, for instance, in Queen Elizabeth Park right now, through the pandemic, they had to, over 200 lines and they, through the pandemic, went down to 70 lines. And that is a huge park. So you have to know that if we don't protect these top predators, everything else unravels. Strangely, and I know it's very hard for some people to conceptualize that the top predators keep the whole system alive and it keeps and they keep it in balance, but that is the fact. So we need to protect these vast tracts of wilderness areas that are now um, uh, few and far between. And, and that's really what it's all about. How do we protect all the animals? The ultimate book of African animals is really about an insight on the great tapestry of what is out there in Africa. But if we don't have enough land for all of them to um, survive in, and then the top the top predators keeping that balance, uh, we will start losing uh, many of these um, little areas that are becoming islands. So related to what you were saying, Beverly, about how during the pandemic, there's been just such a vast decrease in the lions in this particular park, is is that because of poachers? Or what has happened? So that's exactly the reason. Um, the reason that the poachers have moved in, though, is because um, two years ago, obviously, nearly two years ago, we understand the, the pandemic that came through, the COVID pandemic. Um, that then shut down all tourism, or created economic global meltdown, but it shut down all tourism. Uh, so no more eyes on the ground, no more boots on the ground, no more revenues going into conservation in many cases. And so in many places, the ranger force was pulled out, they were furloughed, let go. Um, and so these areas have largely been un unmanned. And that's created in combination, it's not like a perfect storm, combination of um, an unmanaged resource and increased poverty in certain, you know, communities. So, so that's what's happened, which is exactly why we started a project called Project Ranger, which is all about raising money to give back to those rangers to get them back in the field. 
And so Project Ranger kind of works side by side with our VCAD initiative at National Geographic. You know, it's all about protecting um, on the ground, the frontline workers. And with the VCAD initiative, we give away grants to like-minded people that really want to take action and do the protection right now. So it's not only about science, it's about taking action. And there we've managed to give over 150 grants in 28 countries right through Africa. Project Ranger is now an added part of this because the frontline workers have been taken out completely, mainly with governments and, and with the conservancies and concessions that can't afford them. And so we raise funds to keep the frontline workers in the field, but at the same time, it assists the community, great education on what is should be valuable to them. And obviously these areas should be valuable to them because it is their future bank. If we keep these areas alive, they will get a great economy through future ecotourism that will come through. Granted, the borders have been closed for a long, long time, but now that they're slowly opening, that revenue can flow again. Precisely. And in the meantime, though, you have these, you have the initiative, the CAD initiative, Big Cat Initiative, and with Project Ranger, this these are both efforts that all of us can participate in because we need to, and that's what part of this conversation is about, bringing the, the awareness and getting all of us engaged in how we are all part of the solution. That is so true. And, um, you know, Derek and I started in our early 80s, and, and we thought we were these two sole um, uh, eco-warriors trying to protect the planet. And as we evolved through time, I mean, obviously our films and our books and everything speak about conversation, but as you evolve and speak to governments, we realized we needed to reach out and say, let's collaborate with whoever wanted to collaborate with us. And so you're absolutely right. If anybody wants to join us in helping the Big Cat Initiative at Geographic or helping Project Ranger through Project Ranger dot org, uh, we would um, open our arms to any help that comes our way. And just one small correction there. We didn't start this when we were in our early 80s. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm talking about 1980. <laughs> yes, I, 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 I was thinking that that had to be the case. I mean, if you started in your 80s and, and, that, and, you, and you've been doing this work now for uh, basically four decades, true? That is, well, yeah, on, that is on that true. perimeter, about 172 years. <laughs> yeah. um, no, we started in the early 80s when we were just out of, uh, basically out of college and, and university. Yeah. And you, Africa is your home, South Africa. This is where you were born and raised, true? We were born in Africa. It's interesting, an interesting story. We were born in Africa and we were born in South Africa, which uh, there are parts of that are very much like Seattle, to be very honest. And uh, it's like the French Riviera of Africa. Um, and so we felt by the time we were leaving university and college that we didn't really know Africa. We didn't really understand the continent we were born on. And so we, we struck out and we went out into the bush, uh, into the wild to discover elephants and lions and Maasai people and Bushmen and, and the real uh, fabric of Africa. And then we kind of got lost there for 40 years. <laughs> what a great way to be lost. 
and and to do that was your education as you were at university geared at all in this direction um partly so i did geology at university which is the rocks and the foundation of africa um and then added zoology and ecology onto that and but large you know beverly now met in high school and fell in love and um immediately struck out and went out into the bush um one version of that is is you know so that we could have an adventure the other version is that I could take Beverly off the market and be in places where there were no other human males so I didn't have to compete with anybody but the the important thing really is that we went out into the bush together and discovered amazing things and have have had this amazing romantic but adventurous and exploring journey and evolved our films together our books together and and everything that we've done together. So we had the wonderful way of having the science, but moving into more of the art field. And so we could blend the art and the science together. So all our films are obviously incredibly accurate towards um, the science. But we, we now are storytellers. And we're storytellers in the way that we want the animals to draw you in the way they have drawn us in. So we have to go through sometimes a lot of the um, hardships and the challenges that the animals go through, you know, um, the heat and, and the being bitten by mosquitoes and the floods and whatever it is. And it's only through that that we can then, you know, tell the story in a much more emotional way by living it with the animals. Um, one in an of, authentic way. Yes, in, in, mm. in an authentic way, I think is really what I am trying to say. Sorry, Kate, we're interviewing each other here. You, <laughs> you carry on with whatever you've got to do. No, that, that is beautiful. Uh, and so just to rewind a moment, uh, Beverly, your education then was also in science, and you're saying you're bringing this forward to in, incorporating the arts. No, my education was strangely more in business, um, which um, I didn't have a passion for at all. My mom, um, you know, was in accounting and, and she sort of pushed me that way. But I was leaning more towards the arts um, as a child. So um, it worked wonderfully when there was a little bit of an what a sort of a process of change and, and we went that way. But always had a deep passion for animals. Both our parents uh, took both of us um, out on many safaris. You know, the Kruger National Park in South Africa is quite well known and we would go on trips like that growing up. So Derek and I both had, um, I suppose, empathy towards wildlife, but we, we learnt um, through obviously discovering the beauty and the nature, but as we were now living in the field, we started seeing a little bit of... Um, the issues happening that we realized that were wrong. So atrocities, you know, whether it was um, animals going from a migration of 45,000 zebras down to 7,000 in a very short space of time. We knew we had to investigate and start filming that and understand why. And so sometimes it is the horrors um, or anger that now propels us forward. And that is just such a perfect thing to consider is that that is often the kinds of tragedies or something we witness that is just so wrong can be then 
uh, that impetus for us or the sign for us as to what needs to be our life's work, what we need to focus on? Well, that's true. And and uh, we say this all the time and mean it more each time we say it, but there's a huge difference between saying something and saying nothing. And so at some point in our lives, we were watching all these things going on and uh, trying to document them in film or in photography or writing. Um, and at some point we needed to speak out. And there's a major, major difference between observing and actually advocacy or speaking out. And you become far more vulnerable, actually, um, because not, people don't want you to speak out. And so we've had death threats and um, you know attempts on our lives and all sorts of things. But um, I think that's who we have be- who we have become now. And and you're such a, a needed and necessary voice in our world, and certainly one then as we have a conversation this morning and as you have more of these, and certainly with 25 film, films that you've done for National Geographic and 11 books, uh, it, you're really putting forth the message. So you're sharing it with us, and we need to grasp this, be engaged with the with the story, with what we need to do, our part, as we mentioned, mentioned with the Big Cats Initiative and with the Ranger Project as well. Absolutely. And you know what we love about the National Geographic is uh, there's so many different um, ways of reaching a wider audience. So this book, for instance, the ultimate book of African animals, um, somebody complimented us uh, yesterday saying that it's ready for four year four-year-olds to 80-year-olds. So that's one way of reaching a wide audience, but it really is mainly um, a children's book. But then, of course, Derek and I do films that then get um, we can reach a global audience, and it normally is, you know, a family audience. And then, of course, we do adult books. So we have managed to target um, every uh, sort of media and medium so that we can be effective and then starting um, different initiatives uh, we realized was um, ultimately important because sometimes when you're entertaining through the books and the films you know it it might open up a conversation that they can have with each other but nobody really knows how to take action whereas having the initiatives now they can take part in the action that we're taking which is just such common sense. So really so wonderful. And 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 it's true about this new book, The Ultimate Book of African Animals. I was thinking that as well. Yes, it's a children's book, but I'm loving it. So, you know, we older adults are can just get as as drawn into it as the young children. So it it's really important uh, and informative because there's so much information in this that uh whatever level you're at, you're going to be able to learn something. Well, that's right. And I think that what we try to do was um, uh, write it in a way that appealed to all ages. And we worked with a co-author, Suzanne, who uh, who really understood the code. Uh, we talk about it like that, the code that, that young people 
can decode and understand. But it's the same, and so we added in um, myths and, and legends and some of the wow factor, but we wrote it also in a way that uh, you could read it to your, your child or your grandchild and, uh, and be as engaged as they are. So it's quite a fine balance, actually. Yeah. And the pictures... Are- these picture books are just so amazing, not uh, to the extent that having that large cat picture behind you on the wall, but the, but they are really so vivid. And I think that's where National Geographic really shines, is really being able to put out such a wonderful book that captures the work that you have done. Thank you. All those images, or most of them, are taken by Beverly. And I think the other part of this book is that not only are the images by Beverly, but the, and it's a, it would be okay to just put a collection of those together, but embedded in here are the insights, personal insights, uh, stories that, that have happened to us that we talk about. And, you know, one of them springs to mind where uh, we were in our little camp one day and we heard a chair go flying actually, and went up to the fire that we had just been uh, sitting around and there was a, an enormous python, a snake, that had caught a, a young um, antelope and uh, devoured the entire thing while we were there. The amazing thing about that is, for snake lovers, is that um, once it had the, this fairly significant antelope in its mouth and going down, um, we could virtually step over it and move around the snake because it couldn't move anywhere. But it was the first time we'd seen something like that. And I think that this book talks about some of the firsts that we've ever seen. And we, in, from your exploration and photography and just the passion for sharing these stories, uh, really pull, draw us in, give us that opportunity with you. So you are called explorers with National Geographic. And Derek, I, I think you're saying that we're all explorers. Well, we are. So we're explorers at large, which, depending on your interpretation of that, means that we are like prisoners that escaped and now we're at large and we're running. Um, Or um, I think that we all have that explorer in us. And very often young people say to us, how do I become an explorer, Uh, given now that we... We've discovered all the continents and and, uh, most of the tribes in the world or any of the old stuff that National Geographic was going after. Um, But I think that we can all explore, first of all, in our neighborhood, but but we can explore intellectually as well. And I think that Explorer as a label is a catch-all for um, perhaps not being afraid of the unknown. And that's one of the things that we've lived by. We've always embraced the unknown, gone out there, no matter where it is, uh, even in exploring an intellectual thought. But I have to say, Kate, to add to us all being explorers, we have to be responsible and we have to all be conservationists right now. You know, conservation used to be a term that was only out there for a few. We don't have the time for only a few to be looking at the issues. Each and every one of us needs to be speaking out. We need to be innovative, looking for solutions, and we need to be pushing uh, the decision makers to make the right decisions because this is our planet. Uh, 
we're all living in it. We've all been nurtured by it, by Mother Nature, and we're not nurturing Mother Nature. And so no wonder we are getting extreme weather patterns, uh, forest fires around the world, uh, earthquakes, whatever it is, and, 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 and flooding. So we need to take action and be the change. And in fact, this is the opportunity right now, this last 18 months or so, to uh, reflect and then come in again and renew our vows or renew our contract with nature, because going back to normal is simply not going to be good enough. Very true. We too often are hearing that phrase, let's get back to normal. But was normal so great? We see where it landed us, uh, perhaps the pandemic really being kind of that evidence. But that aside, yes, we need to just be passionate about preserving what we have, because I think we are at that brink of seeing we're just teetering as to the way that we need to go. And But there's still that opportunity if we take hold of those reins, as you are sharing with us, both Beverly and Derek, right? Absolutely. And I think that um, when we first visited Seattle, we were really impressed by the drive, the city drive to go green and to go carbon neutral. Um, and the, the latest IPCC report coming out is a real wake up call that the climate change is real and has been caused by us. And if we do not take actions that your city have actually led the way on around the world, um, we're going to run out of time. And so we, we're deeply concerned about climate change, uh, the impacts that humans are having, and, uh, and a big part of that is, is biodiversity. And we have to make sure that we do not lose another species and, and if possible, another animal. Absolutely. So we can really follow by the way that you are leading just to really devote ourselves to to this work, to being conservationists, to being realizing who we are as part of nature. It is us and we are nature too. That is that is so um, uh, right at this point. And I think what we also have to do through um, all the conservation work that that we've taken on is, you know, too often we'll look at an area and, and target um, the individual species. But we also have to look at who is living uh, very close to those areas, buffering those areas. And so a lot of our work is also working with those communities. Uh, poverty uh, doesn't help conservation. So we have to alleviate poverty. We have to bring those communities on side and allow them to be speaking out, you know, for their areas and for them to feel like ambassadors for those areas as well. So there's a lot of work to be done. National Geographic has started a wonderful education system that is hopefully going to be going around the world with the environmental studies um, happening. Whereas in Africa, there never really has been environmental studies unless you chose to do that when you're at university. And I think that's too late. You know, if we want the decision makers to have the environmental knowledge, we all need to be learning it from um, a very young age. It comes back to the lessons learned from this leopard behind us. So how much can you learn too late or how much do you learn early that becomes instinctive to you? Yeah. And I think that we need environmental and conservation matters 
to almost become instinct in our next generation. And thus, we have this opportunity to learn and start this at a young age, sharing it with our young children, having it in the schools with all the books that you have, but certainly this latest book, which is just so amazing, The Ultimate Book of African Animals. Your collaboration with National Geographic is just the perfect thing, the ideal kind of vehicle. And I'm so grateful that they do the work they do and that you are doing what you are doing and taking time with us this morning. It's just been truly such a gift to have this time to have you share your life and your stories with us. Well, thank you very much. You know, I think that um, we could do what we do in Africa in isolation. National Geographic allows us to amplify that and gives us that megaphone. Um, but most certainly, this is a collaborative effort, not just between Beverly and myself, uh, co-authors and people working on films, National Geographic, but with you as well. So thank you for giving us the platform. Certainly. Thank my you, You're so welcome. My pleasure. Again, many thanks and have a beautiful and natural day. Thank you. And the same to you.